0: Hi, this is Richard Basari. Welcome to Korosi Indonesia Podcast. I want to personally welcome and thank you for joining us today. We are really glad and excited that you are here. Because this podcast is designed for you, our Indonesia Corrosion community, wherever you are. Please do check our website at nasindonesia.org and if you have comments and feedback, please write an email to nace at And now, here is your host Richard Bashery and co-host Sina Sulayna.
1: Hello all, thank you very much for your uh, coming in the uh, Nace Indonesia uh, podcast. I want to personally welcome you and thank you for joining us today. We are really glad that you are here because this podcast is designed for you, our Indonesia corrosion community, wherever you are. Please do check our website at nasindonesia.org and if you have comments and feedback, please write to us uh, through our nas nest at nasindonesia.org. And now this is uh, your host uh, Richard Basari, and my co-host Sina Suleiman. Sina Sulaiman. yeah. Yes, and also uh, Pak Kuku, our next trustee. Um, <clears throat> today, I, yep. Uh, today, I really glad joined by uh, uh, Tim uh, Tim Beary, uh, also my colleague in BP, and also uh, uh, Bob um, Chalker, the the next uh, internet. Nas uh, CEO. Maybe later we will uh, talk uh, uh, further about uh, this uh, two person. But this is uh, two really uh, important person in NACE organization globally, I think. And, and we will uh, listen uh, from them uh, a lot of uh, about what's going on in um, NACE uh, at at this moment. I will like to uh, start our conversation about about a bit background about NACE Indonesia. Uh, for uh, all of you, our listeners. NASE Indonesia established in 2007. um, Back then, Dr. Lou Finzen, the president of NASE International, was invited to Indonesia as a keynote uh, speaker. And uh, I think at that time also, uh, a bill should the executive director of uh, SSPC International was also attending. And another milestone, it was in 2014, where, when also NACE Indonesia got an honor to host uh, East Asia and Pacific uh, Area Conference in Nusa Dua, Bali. And also it was attended by prominent NACE uh, executive teams at that time. And there were um, several NACE activities ever since that proved uh, the co-axis the co- of NACE Indonesia among corrosion professionals in Indonesia. Uh, we have uh, recent um, data from SARA, or IEP, IEPA uh, Regional NACE Officer that as per November 2020, currently there are 139 active uh, members in Indonesia. Some members uh, got their membership because um, automatically you know, registered through the course registration, but some of them actively maintain their uh, NACE membership. Our NIST Indonesia vision is to act as an organization to disseminate corrosion awareness and increase corrosion knowledge among professionals in Indonesia and currently NIST Indonesia has three flagship programs. Uh, First is Bintaro uh, where we invite a corrosion specialist to talk about corrosion in a relaxed and informal meeting and then also technical group discussion, a meeting that conduct every quarter Um, This is by virtual in these days and also uh, the last program that you guys listen uh, today is a podcast, Corrosion Indonesia, an hour long podcast conduct in Bahasa and also sometimes conduct in English with an objective to uh, disseminate corrosion knowledge among engineers in Indonesia. So uh, without further ado, uh, already with me, uh, myself, Richard Basri and Sina Sulaiman and also uh, Pak Kuku, our Nase trustee. I would like to welcome uh, Bob uh, Chalker, the Nase CEO, and then also Tim Berry, current president of Nase. Now, I also would like to convey uh, congratulations for, for Tim. I think you are a um, uh, promote as a VP of the materials and corrosion at BP. Um, thank you. Uh, Pak over to you.
2: OK, uh, thank you, Parichat. Uh, it's it's an honor for us uh, to welcome uh, Tim and Bob. I think Richard and I also quite a bit nervous right now, right, Richard? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, we try to, to, to bring the, the podcast a little bit relaxed so people may be uh, listening uh, when they're driving or they're doing something, uh, they can enjoy the talk show. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, what we when we have a uh, guest in our uh, podcast, so we usually ask them to introduce uh, themselves. So I think maybe uh, Bob or Tim, uh, can you help us to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, probably from your education background and then also career. Uh, sorry, the career and uh, also the experience in the corrosion uh, activity. Uh, I don't know, uh, who will start first, Tim, maybe? Or Bob?
3: <laughs> uh, well, good evening. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Thanks for um, the the introduction. Um, Tim Bieri here, the, the current NACE International President for, uh, I think, what will be the remainder of 2020. I think titles and roles will change as we go forward. Um, I, I believe that's on the agenda to cover, so I'll, I'll just uh, uh, give a, a shadow warning of that coming up. Um, for my introduction, I'm a um, corrosion engineer um, uh, basically all my career. I started with a mechanical engineering degree, but have been working in corrosion for nearly three decades. And it all started with answering an ad in the newspaper for for folks that are even aware of what a newspaper is. That's (laughs) three decades ago. That's how you uh, found a lot of jobs. Yes. The first half of my career was mostly focused in cathodic protection, primarily in oil and gas, though I did uh, a fair bit of CP on reinforced concrete structures like bridges, parking garages. Mm-hmm. Um, Docks and the like. Uh, I ended up in Alaska fairly early in my career, working on the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. Okay. Um, and at some point, I joined BP. Uh, it was about 17 years ago. I joined BP as a corrosion engineer while working in Alaska, mm-hmm. and that moved me to the inside of the pipe. So learned more about corrosion and inhibitors, multiphase yes. flow Uh, and the variety of mechanisms inside. Um, In 2009, I moved to BP's central engineering team based in Houston, and I've been here uh, ever since. Uh, Just a a quick background on my NACE involvement. I started, just as you gentlemen are, working in our local section in Alaska as in the section leadership as a Mm -hmm. uh, a chairman and eventually a trustee. I've been an instructor for NACE in cathodic protection and internal corrosion and I've worked on several administrative committees so the education committee, the publications committee, uh, the 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 things that make NACE run uh, as opposed to the technical committees of standards development. Um I have a professional engineering license and mm-hmm uh nace international cp specialist and internal corrosion specialist and i'll leave it there and hand it to hand it back
2: very interesting uh
3: experience
2: i think alaska is is very cold there right uh tim if i'm not mistaken
3: yeah uh half of the year it's uh dark and chilly <laughs> okay i think one good. more thing to add i actually did make it to indonesia once uh i uh, okay. was in jakarta uh, in 2013 for a, a week or 10 days so okay. i enjoy, enjoyed the experience while i was there was it good or not it was good um okay. it's a busy sw- busy city jakarta but uh, <laughs> um, it was a good experience if yeah.
2: you come today it will be a less uh, traffic jam, perhaps
3: <laughs> oh
4: because of the pandemic <laughs> yeah okay. right okay
2: right. I, I, next, Bob,
4: can you please explain? Thank you. Um, so my story is just a little bit different. Um, I am not a corrosion professional by either education or practice. I, my my role at NACE as is, is the uh, CEO is more around association management. Um, so I, I actually started, I have an engineering degree from the University of Cincinnati, industrial engineering, and have a ma- MBA, master's from a, a small school in Michigan, Oakland University. Um worked in the auto industry for t- almost 25 years uh, in a lot of different positions, um, everything from manufacturing to engineering to technical sales. Uh, I, I think my one introduction to corrosion uh, in that role, the, the company I worked for made wiring uh, systems for cars, and mm-hmm. I got put on a project uh, to address a pretty serious corrosion issue with within the electrical system. And so if if I had any experience with it, it was that six-month period where um, I was very focused on solving some problems that we had with our design. But really, my my background was automotive, electrical systems, electronics, um, wiring systems. And I did that, as I said, for 25 years. And I, I got a call from an executive recruiter the Society of Automotive Engineers was looking for somebody to come on board as an executive position. And that was a big change for me. So, I went from working for a major corporation, um, very large, uh, very much about generating profits and very much about, you know, what most businesses focus on, yep. and um, got recruited to come to work to this small not-for-profit, the Society of Automotive Engineers. And in fact, my, my story's I, I like to tell it because I think it's what drove me and and finally made my decision to make the move. I was talking to the CEO of that organization, mm-hmm. and it been a we've been talking for several months at this point. And I finally I asked him and I said, you know, there's one thing I have to ask you. I mm-hmm. never was a member of SAE. I I never totally understood the value proposition. So mm-hmm. here I am, an automotive engineer for 20 some years. Mm -hmm. and never joined their organization and he looked me in the eye and he said that's exactly why we want you Um, we need to understand how our members think and so I made the step because I I really appreciated that recognition that we really do have to understand our customers and our members Uh, I was there for six years Mm -hmm. and uh, then had the opportunity to move to the American Society for Quality Which was a really nice fit for me because my background in the auto industry, uh, particularly when I was in manufacturing, was about quality, quality management. My education is in industrial engineering, and I have a minor in statistics. So it was was a great fit. I was there two years and then was recruited to come to NACE 10 years ago now. In fact, I just celebrated my 10th anniversary with the organization to come to NACE as the CEO. Um, and I think it was it was really a good fit. Again, I don't ever try to claim to be a corrosion professional. I clearly have an engineering background. I understand the technical aspects, but I don't bring the expertise. But but that's not my role. My my role really to bring the expertise on how to run an association. How do you do outstanding conferences? How do we write great standards? How do we make sure that our education programs are the the best in class, uh, bar none. And that our certification programs are working well so that's my role and i i love it i love the um the challenge of what i we call the dual bottom line Uh, we are a mission-based organization we are an organization that recognizes our, our first purpose is to serve society and then to serve the members of the organization and the companies they work for you can't have a strong mission if you don't have good, strong financial performance. So we also have a responsibility to make sure the organization is performing financially and doing well. And so in these times right now, that, that's as challenging as, as any aspect of the job we have with the impact yeah. of COVID. But you got to have somebody who's got their, their eye on the business side of the organization yeah. as well. And so we have a partnership with the members. Tim and I work as a partner uh, and as we do with all members, they bring the technical expertise. People like yourself bring the technical expertise to the table, and I try to run the association and keep it as, as the premier organization serving our industry.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, what we have right now, also in the National in Indonesia, I think uh, most of us are corrosion engineer or uh, working related with the corrosion. So I think yeah it's good also to have somebody outside who has capability like yours to 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 see what we can do better with the organization yeah okay i think uh thank you bob for the introduction also tim uh i I will hand over to pakuku for the next question pakuku hi
5: uh, tim and bob uh, good morning there. Being uh, chairman and as well as trustee of Indonesia, uh, I have a few feedback for you both. Uh, Indonesia has much lower uh, GDP per capita among the countries. So based on the World Bank data in 2019, Indonesia, the GDP is around 4,135 USD per capita, which Comparing to US, is uh, more than 60,000 USD. UK, more than 40, 42,000 USD. Singapore, even larger, 65,000 USD. And compared to other uh, developing countries like Brazil and Malaysia, Brazil, uh, around 8,700. And Malaysia around uh, eleven thousand USD. Other hand, there are some local coaching organizations offer training and certification with cheaper fee compared to NAIS. Yeah, of course, uh, NAIS have uh, an international recognition compared to the local uh, coaching organization. Uh, but here is the catch: uh, Do you? consider subsidizing fees for lower-income countries. We are working hard for for means, uh, even uh, at the time where we have to rest, (laughs) Uh, late night or even weekends. And also for the uh, supervisor for uh, student chapter, their uh, lecture, and in and Indonesia, lecturers don't get uh, so much money uh, to become a lecturer. So uh, it's hard for them to, to pay, Whereas they have to you know, to, uh, to lead the SC or, or supervise the certain chapter. So, uh, yeah, yeah. We, need, we want to grow, to grow in, in Indonesia, but of course we need your support, uh, what do you think?
4: Well, yes, and um, thank you. No, nothing like starting with the uh, with a challenging question, and uh, and I appreciate it. Th- this really is a complex issue. Um, there's a lot of inputs into how we establish the the pricing for both membership, our education, our certification programs. I will say this: there is a a real emphasis on from the boards and from the staff to keep it as low as we possibly can, and and then. With that, we we take into a lot of things into consideration. One is the the value that is delivered or offered from the programs. Uh, You mentioned about NACE being a global organization, and we are, and so we have to have a model that can work in uh, really every region or country of the world. Uh, We also need to recognize that the value that comes with a NACE certification or a NACE membership can be significant. We also have to take into consideration the cost to deliver these programs. And unfortunately, there are significant costs, things that maybe aren't on the radar screen, but like the insurances that we have to carry um, to to protect all of us if something goes wrong, or the cost of delivery in certain parts of the world, really around the world, can be quite expensive. Um, There's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of different pieces that need to be taken into consideration when we establish a price for anything that we do. I will tell you that, and I'm going to put this in context of the merger because I think this is one of the advantages of the merger. Um, we are able to take a, re- a look at and reset on everything that we do, and that we'll talk more about how we have approached the merger, but that has been a key philosophy throughout this process. Um, let's look at everything we do and one of the things that we've looked at is the pricing for both the individual membership and the corporate membership and the value that goes with it uh, we haven't gone public yet with those numbers um, it what we are doing is i'll call it value-based pricing meaning that there will be an option that's lower than what the nace member pays today and it will be you know the the value that comes with that will be appropriate so it is something we look at it is something we take into consideration we've we've not adopted as you suggested any type of subsidy or regional pricing model the the challenge is we are in a global world and our the pricing of our products and services need to be equalized around the world otherwise you know people call into question why do i have to pay more in one part of the world than somebody else is paying in another part of the world for exactly the same services the same value. And so, that that makes it really challenging because with the internet and how quickly now information travels, the days of being able to um, differentiate your price of your product regionally has become really gone or or lost. So, we have to have something that holds up. The the other thing is a lot of the companies that our members work for are global companies. And so, companies like the BPs of the world or the Sherwin-Williams or the uh, um, you know, pick anyone, they expect to have a global pricing. And so we have to be conscientious of that. So I said there's a lot that goes into the decision making. It is something we've considered multiple times, it is something we look at. We're very conscious of making sure that our members receive great value for what they pay, well above what they're actually paying uh and i we did a study not too long ago that says the average nace member is probably getting seven dollars worth of value for every dollar they spend on their membership so
1: yeah passing over to you
2: okay uh okay the next question will be for team uh so <clears throat> i think there there's uh there are some discussion i think in the internet or maybe on the actual also in the the feel that uh, sometimes that we found that or we meet with the person who already certified by NACE, but probably uh, they got like uh, less experience compared to the other colleague or the other personnel within the within the work, which which probably uh, lacking the field experience uh, compared to them, but this person could be have a better uh, certificate, for example, like already CIP level three or uh, CP level two compared to the team. But yeah, I think at some point the, the field experience also helped to do some troubleshooting in the site. So uh, we'd like to know if any uh, your feedback about this matter uh, if any improvement plan to to accommodate, for example, like to evaluate the the, the field experience uh, which is in line with the certification also.
3: Thanks. Uh, t- t- two, two tough questions to start with, I'll say. Um, um, I, first, uh, you know, we're very proud of the certification program that, that we have developed over the years. Um, and. Very protective of the certification program, so we recognize that it represents a significant investment by individuals to become certified, mm-hmm. and holds significant value to the individuals that are certified. They leverage that in terms of meeting criteria for jobs, um, and we have to have a honest, transparent process for. Um, the public in the industries that we serve around our certification program. NACE has continued to evolve and invest in, in the program. We've hired uh, staff that are dedicated to ensuring our exams are, are statistically um, accurate or measure the performance of, of individuals as opposed to um, being too easy or too hard to pass. Um, We've invested probably close to half a million dollars over the past several years to change the examination platform, to rewrite our exams, to support computer-based testing. Uh, So, there is significant investment and recognition of the programs. Most of our certifications do have um, a requirement around verifiable work experience. Certainly, the certifications that are more advanced um, so cp2 cip2 uh, yeah. and so and you know i think it starts also with the people that are used for reference or that are put down as being able to verify work experience mm-hmm. they need to be honest uh, with the person that's asking them and on their response as to whether they meet that burden of experience i mean we can follow up with that individual, but we have no way of continuing to dig deeper in terms of did they do what they said or what they wrote down on their application. Um, recertification also uh, requires verifiable or and or professional development hours. So, uh, again, there is some documentation around making sure people are doing or are involved in the activities they're certified for. I think part of... What we see is around ethics, and ethics is the responsibility that we all have. You shouldn't hold yourself out, or you shouldn't claim um, to have skills or a certification that's beyond what you do have. So, if you're a uh, CIP level one inspector,
1: mm.
3: you shouldn't be trying to take jobs that or roles that are C, that require CIP level two. So there is a ethics component to this, and starting in 2021, there'll be an ethics uh, requirement for new certifications and recertifications, um, just to make sure that folks are constantly refreshed around our ethics and the requirements that we have. We do have a process if there's uh, allegations or violations of. Okay. Of our ethics, uh, yeah. that's addressed through an independent committee, and we follow a rigorous uh, investigation process. So, yeah. we we have people that probably more than we like in terms of how busy that committee is, yeah. but it's not. Uh, uh, I would say it's not overwhelmed. Um, and and just finally, the the um, our certification process. We're working mm. to become accredited against an ISO standard, ISO 17024, uh, which sets the requirements for organizations like NACE that provide certifications to individuals. So we're working through uh, having our program accredited uh, against a standard. So um, by doing that, I think we're strengthening our certification program uh, certainly, there are individuals out there that um, either historically have have maybe abused um, the certifications, or um, maybe haven't fully been honest or transparent with their experience. Mm-hmm. But we are trying to make sure that uh, folks that achieve a level of certification do so based on their knowledge skills and abilities
2: i I, actually the certified cip also level one uh in 2015 but since then i haven't worked uh, yet in the inspection work anymore so i didn't continue my my certification to cip level two Uh, i think yeah that, that that will be part of my ethic also right to to admit that i haven't yeah
3: no i yeah. think that's a great that's a great example you might have taken a course um uh, to expand your knowledge or because the co- your company required you to do it and then you might have changed roles and you're no longer uh, practicing that the materials right you're no longer doing coding inspection so yes. It is uh, the materials change with time, technology changes with time. You need to maintain some level of currency and involvement in order to recertify.
5: Yeah, this is for Bob, actually. Um, It's about NACE and SPCC merger. Uh, Actually, we have discussed this uh, uh, quite a bit, but I think the listener, I would like to hear directly from you, Bob. So uh, the question is, what is the background of this uh, merger? And how this merger can benefit for NAIS, especially members? As we know, both organizations are unique. Serve different customers. And, and why now?
4: <laughs> Great questions. Um, <laughs> So first of all, the background. Depending on who who you talk to, uh, the background goes back 30, 40 40 or so years. Um, There has been three, possibly four attempts to execute a merger between the two organizations over the last 40 years. Um, This is something that has always been under the surface. In fact, when I joined NACE 10 years ago, um, meeting with member leaders, several of them brought up the fact that it really does make sense that NACE and SSPC were one organization. And, and you almost have to go back 70 years to when the organizations were founded. So NACE, NACE is what, 76, 77 years old now. Uh, SSPC's uh, about five years younger. When SSPC was founded, it actually was founded with the involvement of NACE and NACE member leaders. And in fact, for a long time, there was a seat on the SSPC board that was reserved for a NACE representative. It was founded out of Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh uh, with the purpose and the focus of being on codings. And at that time, NACE did not see itself as a codings organization. It saw itself as a primarily cathodic protection. Um, honestly, primarily pipeline oriented. Uh, at, at the time that SSPC would have been formed, NACE would not have been the organization it is today. It, it was very regional. It was very much focused on the oil and gas and, and primarily in the U.S. and you could even argue in the Texas region. Uh, but there was an interest and a recognition that coatings play an important role for preventing corrosion. And so there was a need for a professional association to serve those professionals. And uh, the leadership at that time didn't see that fitting at NACE, and so they helped create SSPC. Well, things change over time. And in particularly during the 60s, 70s, uh, you saw a couple things happen. You saw technology change um, in both fields. You saw recognition that – corrosion is best prevented with systems and using both uh, a barrier or a coating as well as the cathodic protection methodology. Um, But also the big change was NACE founded and launched the CIP program, the Coatings Inspection Program, which has become adopted really around the world by asset owners around the world. And so, we started to come closer and closer together as an organization um you mentioned about serving different members and and that is recognized that we really have served two different uh, parts of the organization or of the industry even though we serve the same industry but that makes it all the more appealing to become one organization Uh, we don't necessarily overlap uh with each other I, i know for quite a while we've looked at each other as competitors but the reality is we only compete in a few areas, uh, the CIP being the biggest of those areas. For the most part, our product services programs that we offer are complementary to each other. And so that's where the merger starts to make sense. If you recognize that, that although we serve the same industry, we really serve different parts of that industry and that our the programs, services products that we offer are complementary and only compete in a small area, um, you begin to recognize that why do you have two organizations with the infrastructure, uh, the cost to maintain the overhead, et cetera, could you not do it much more effectively and efficiently uh, if you had one organization? Also takes away and allows us to, uh, or take away the cost of competing or offering into the industry And it allows us to repurpose that to creating new products and programs instead of maintaining duplicative programs. So I think members for a long time have recognized there was value in bringing the two organizations together. It's it's been in the discussions multiple times. There were a couple times where it actually got pretty close to executing a merger, but for whatever reason, it, it fell apart. I think you've said something really important, the why now? And, and that's the key. Uh, I think the big why now is that you had a confluence of several things. First of all, we had member leaders who were willing to really look at this and put the value of what are putting what's most valuable to the industry first and set aside their own personal interests, their own um You know, what did they gain and look at what does the industry gain and what do the members gain? And people like Tim Bieri, who's with us today, you know, he he really had to set aside and say, you know what, I'm going to not focus on what this means to me personally and my role as president, but I'm going to look at what is best for our industry. And and Terry Greenfield before him. And then we had Joe Walker uh, from SSPC and now Joyce Wright. And and the incoming presidents, Chris Connor on our side and Sam Scatero on their side, they're really affected because they got elected into offices that don't exist under a merged organization, or at least what they're gonna be doing is gonna be very different. So it took volunteers who were willing to set aside their personal interests. The same thing on the staff side. Um, I wanna give kudos because uh, I'm not sure it's mentioned or not enough, but Bill Worms, who was the executive director of SSPC and myself have been, were able to work together extremely well through this process. And very early on, we made an agreement, similar to what the members did, which is we're gonna do what's in the best interest of the organizations, and we're gonna fight for that. And whatever happens coming out of that, we're gonna trust that it'll be good for both of us. And interesting, I I had the benefit of being selected as the CEO of the new organization, Um, But Bill has landed quite well also. He is now the president of KTA Tater, a very large and influential and important uh, company within our industry. And so because the staff was willing to do what the members did, which is, again, look at what's best for the industry, you had the right environment to make this happen. And then I think the third thing that really bound it all together was the demand from the industry, the members themselves, the companies they work for, um, the governments that we're engaged with, wanted this to happen. And that was best exemplified in the vote. I mean, 90% of the membership of both organizations, I think ours was like 89.7%, they were slightly more than 90%, voted in favor of the in the In the election world, that is called a mandate and it really held everybody accountable to complete this. When the members speak that loudly, and when the companies they work for were so clear that they want one organization, um, I think it created an environment that made it, uh, gave it a real opportunity for success. And here we sit four weeks away from the launch of the new organization, and I see no reason why this is not gonna be successful. In fact, Possible to go backwards now. The legal filings are done. The uh, all of the uh, positions have, are being assigned. We are one organization. Uh, it will become official in January fourth, but we are one organization today and acting and behaving that way as much as possible.
5: Okay, thanks very much, Bob, for such a detailed uh, explanation. Next
1: question from me uh, to Tim. Um, I think most of NAIS nice Indonesia members uh, come from oil and gas and oil and gas services background. Uh, Current NAIS standard and publication are dominated by oil and gas um, applications. Other standards, uh, also in refineries, production chemicals, maybe little, very little in renewables. Although there are some but seems uh, still little in uh, quantity and quality over oil and gas. So does NACE have a plan to extend its standard to include application outside oil and gas? We know that, especially in our company like BP, we are very uh, keen to you know, pursue the renewable um, energy, such as wind and solar. And also with regard to the merger between NASE and SPCC, we know that both organizations manage to have uh, standards. So will this merge merger uh, also uh, will impact the join um, standard uh, merger and how we manage the different in the standards and also vice versa simplify the similarities so from two standards with the same context, content just uh, become uh, one standard and better.
3: Thanks, Richard. I was just uh, reflecting as trying to capture this as we went, so we'll make sure I hopefully address all of the uh, sub questions in your question. Um, certainly, uh, oil and gas are the the roots of of NACE, uh, as as Bob said. You know, it was initially and in, started in 1943 as as focused on pipelines. So, uh, and that was oil and gas pipeline. So that is our heritage. Um, it is our most well developed industry area, I would say. Um, but we are looking to diversify, we are pursuing opportunities, uh, not only with standards, but the the product suite that, that NACE offers, education, certification standards. Um, in other industries, um, we've made uh, some significant inroads in the marine industry, so shipping. Um, We are beginning our journey or at the early stages of our journey in terms of looking at amusement parks. There's been some significant uh, incidents uh, globally in the recent years with uh, corrosion of amusement park uh, rides, which puts the public uh, at risk. So we've been working with other associations that – Uh, deal with the integrity of amusement parks to see how we can support Uh, certainly looking at the renewable energy space Um, and the interesting thing I would say is a lot of the content that we have developed in our oil and gas standards um, is readily transferable to other industries so if we talk about coatings we talk about surface preparation in some cases we talk about cathodic protection Um, None of those technologies truly care whether the steel they're being applied to is a dock, a pipeline, or an offshore wind tower. So, uh, a lot of that uh, technology is readily transferable, but the way it's captured in our standards, it makes it difficult to extract. Approximately two years ago, uh, NACE conducted a, a thorough review of our standards development program. Um, and there were multiple recommendations that the board of directors voted to move forward. And just a highlight a couple. First, we created uh, an independent standards committee. Uh, previously, it was combined with uh, other technical activities, so we've we've separated those two and put standards to highlight standards, I guess. Uh, as part of that, there are standing, standards development subcommittees. So in the past, our process was if somebody wanted a standard, we'd have to form a subcommittee to address that standard that takes time. Now we have standing committees that we can hand um, the request, they can act on that request if there's a need and move much more quickly into the development process. Second, we've retooled the the just the whole standards writing process, focusing on both quality and speed. Uh, some of our standards take a really long time historically to go from an idea to being published. Um, we we need to improve our speed without sacrificing the quality of the content. Um, and third is is really a significant investment into the program. And that comes in the way of uh, of staff focused on our standards and standards development process, uh, new software, new tools to help uh, both the authors uh, draft standards and um, staff to be able to manage the inventory, the revisions, and the, the whole management process that goes along with it. I think the last piece you asked was about NACE and SSPC joint standards. Um, both NACE and SSPC are recognized standards development organizations, which is a, a particular designation that you get from those that manage standards uh, internationally. Um, NACE has approximately 250 standards in our umbrella. SSPC has an additional 160 or so standards. Um, and then there is about 20 additional standards that are co-branded. So a lot of the surface preparation standards are co-branded. So that's uh, you know a large inventory of standards. By bringing together, we've got more standards that affect our our overall uh, customer and the industry uh, to to serve. We recognize that many of our standards are referenced in internal company documents they might be read, uh, referenced in governmental specifications or even regulations in some cases and we don't want to lose that we don't want to create a lot of turmoil in the in our for our customers ultimately um, so as we move forward we will be looking to understand and how we will bring uh, those joint standards and um, what would be Heritage NACE and Heritage SSPC standards. As they get revised, maybe they get revised under the new organization's um, name or umbrella. um, We've also recognized we may be desirable to continue both the NACE and SSPC brands, just like you might have, I think Bob uses the analogy of, of of a hotel chain like marriott has several brands that sit underneath marriott they're all part of the marriott family but but are independent brands and have different offerings to different uh, different customers so nace and sspc uh, i anticipate will continue as as brands for the foreseeable future because we don't want to create um, disruption uh, for the sake of disruption we want to be thoughtful how we manage this change uh, richard i just testing here make sure i captured uh, all of the all of the points in your question
1: yes thank you thank you tim over to okay.
2: you Pat. okay uh thank you uh next question i think related with the current situation with the pandemic and etc and everything that pushed us to work uh from home work virtually or maybe we have very not maybe not very but less limited work at the field so i would like to know uh, from both of you bob and Tim, how do you see this will affect the corrosion engineer and then also what will be the uh step for for next to adapt with with the current situation uh yeah i think that will be the that will be the the main question for for for, for most of us or the new person that will also enter the, join the industry?
3: Well, I'll take a, a stab at it first. Uh, certainly Bob can uh, talk more about how NACE is specifically yep. responding as an organization. Um, certainly the world um, has changed. Um, I don't know that we'll go back to what we knew as the normal, let's say in 2019, I think, there'll be a new normal, uh, hopefully sooner than later. But one of the things that the pandemic has taught us is you can, today's technology allows you to be pretty effective in communicating um, and working across uh, time zones and working across um, locations. And that's a a real benefit, right? Just the by virtue of the conversation we're having today. uh, This technology to allow a quality interaction uh, didn't Mm -hmm. exist, let's say even five years ago, it was there, but it wasn't at the same quality. Um, On the flip side, I would say corrosion doesn't care whether or not there's a pandemic going on. Um, you know, we have to maintain, uh, investment integrity. We have to ensure that our, uh, in the oil and gas space or any space that the integrity of, um, our assets is, is maintained. Um, and a lot of that requires people on site, right? People in the field, Mm -hmm. um, understanding what the corrosion threats are and what the barriers are that they're using to manage those threats Um, that has probably become more difficult because of of, uh, the need to quarantine before you're allowed maybe to go to work Um, Mm -hmm. and then you're working and then you might have a post-work quarantine uh, Mm -hmm. related to your family it changes the whole uh, dynamic of of remote working for sure you know, BP has a very remote site uh, as part of Indonesia, um, and it has really changed the schedule and the and the individuals that are impacted on how their shifts will will go. Um, so that probably hasn't changed, but the access to information, the access to attend uh, a conference. Or a speaker that is talking in the Middle East, followed Mm by having a conversation with folks in Indonesia and bouncing around the globe um, has really increased, I would say, access to information that didn't exist before. So we're working to try and leverage that and deliver um, quality content uh, that doesn't require people to get on a plane, go somewhere and invest Mm -hmm. multiple days. I think, uh, Bob, I'll kick it back okay. to you.
4: Thanks, Tim. Um, you know, I, I honestly believe in the end, as painful as this pandemic has been, and as much as it's been a shock to our system, mm-hmm. that um, there's a lot of good that's going to come out of it. And, uh, and and I think this is true for our professionals and our industry, as well as for NACE. A, a couple of the good things that have come out of it, it really gave us the incentive to move a lot of our activities online, particularly our education programs. We we had a three to five-year plan that was going to move these programs online anyways, mm-hmm. but we were able to accelerate that literally into weeks. Uh, we had the ability to do it. The mm-hmm. challenge was the having the resources and, frankly, the motivation to be able to do it. We knew how to do it. It's yeah committing to do it and we were able because of the pandemic to shift a lot of resources to that launching that online model and now we have a significant number of our courses available um, anywhere in the world and and I think that's a benefit in two ways to the members one is cost you no longer have to travel to take a, a lot of our classes or the amount of travel required is significantly reduced yeah. But the second is we can reach people in parts of the world that we could never reach before. Yeah. Um, I think the second thing is, and this is true for all of us, mm. the technology to communicate like we're doing today has been here. Um, I was just reading an article. Uh, you know, WebEx was launched in 1999 and, and Zoom's been around since I think 2000. Um, but we as the users were not comfortable with using it. The pandemic forced us to become comfortable to use using it you know post covid or pre-covid you hardly saw anybody turning their videos on in a meeting now (laughs) everybody turns their videos on right and and it, it really is comes down to being comfortable with seeing yourself on a screen um so we are changed because of this you don't disrupt the system the way it was disrupted and not see change That said, I think some things are going to normalize to something not dramatically different. For example, we are seeing that people really do want to meet face to face. There is something about seeing somebody shaking their hand, greeting them, seeing all their body motions in, in live, which is much better and much more satisfying than seeing somebody on a Zoom screen. So we do believe conferences will come back. Interesting, even though the pandemic's not resolved, we've yeah. uh, seen a tremendous uptake of our online courses, yeah. but our in-person courses also have waiting lists and are being well-received. There are people who really value that face-to-face interaction and wanna have it. And we're, So the, what the future will hold for us is offering both. We call it a hybrid model. You're gonna have to be able to deliver your services online Mm-hmm. and and virtually but you're also going to still need to have the the face to face option and and i see that being the case really across the board for our organization if, if you think about it what is our purpose uh, as an organization we have two purposes one is to provide knowledge and expertise training etc mm-hmm. and the other is to create networking opportunities yeah frankly both of those have a very strong face-to-face, in-person aspect to them. Yes. And so we're going to have to find a way to make that happen in the future. We have a team of people that are working extremely hard Mm -hmm. uh, to develop those models and and make them successful. I I think one of the biggest challenges going forward will be is how do you manage the risk? If you listen to the experts, this probably isn't the last pandemic that we're going to experience. I think we all hope and pray it is, But the reality is we got to be prepared for this kind of disruption. And so I think it's going to make us think differently about how we do things and and do them in a way that takes into consideration significant disruptions, Uh, whether it's a pandemic or maybe it's weather related, uh, social unrest. There's a lot of reasons why um, we could see those disruptions. And we just need to do a better job of thinking those through and, and preparing for them. So I I look at the pandemic as having a very, very challenging side, difficult side. Uh, That was the disruption that it caused, but it also has created a lot of opportunity and uh, opportunity for us to really advance and move forward. So it has a positive side as well.
2: Thank you so much. I'm glad to hear uh, optimist uh, opinion about this condition. Uh, Thank you. Okay, Parichat.
1: Okay, I think um, time is up and just uh, maybe last question to post to you guys, any feedback or suggestion for us in Indonesia before I close the uh, this
4: podcast. Thank you. So I'll, I'll add one thing, and, and I think it's what you guys are doing today. I encourage you to continue to do it. Um, I, I think the effort that this section is doing to serve and reach and support its members locally, um, is really exemplary. You're doing a great job. I, I wish and I hope all of our sections will look at how they use technology to, to support their members locally. Uh, in the end, we are a volunteer organization that is successful because our volunteers are willing to do the things to help the industry, help each other, and what you're doing here is important. Um, I will tell you, uh, you mentioned in the introduction about the event in Bali. I had the pleasure of being able to attend that event. It was an excellent, outstanding experience. Uh, by the way, I loved Bali. Uh, <laughs> so got to do a little scuba diving and enjoy the resort. So I, yes. I'm a big fan of creating opportunities in the future for face-to-face meetings. And I hope you guys will find a way to get back to that once we have vaccines and and have this uh, the pandemic under control. Uh, So I would encourage you to be looking at those opportunities to bring people together. I think one of the challenges you have, and probably what has driven you to use technology, is the the geography of your country, right? You are spread out across a lot of islands. It's a lot more challenging to bring people together in your kind of an environment. So um, I do see that hybrid model being really valuable to you. Um,
3: Just echo some of Bob's comments. I think it it is fantastic to see um, pockets of of areas of NACE where the individual members have decided we want to or need to do this, and uh, the system is flexible enough to allow um, the local communities to develop programs that serve. Um, you know, their area, their local community. And that's that's always been an important piece uh, for NACE, at least as I was in a section and, and coming up. Um, I think there is something that we can probably do to help try and make sure we're connecting some of these uh, examples that of, of best practice that are going on in different areas of the globe with each other. So, uh, you know, I know that The Indonesia section has a LinkedIn page, um, but if I look at the NACE-DAMAM section, they're promoting their podcasts, their section meetings, their things on LinkedIn, and they get tremendous uh, visibility. They get people from dozens of countries that that check in and listen to their programs, and I think you could promote this type of program even broader. I recognize um, by nature, in the local language, so it won't be applicable to everybody, but where there are uh, English or uh, transcribed, uh, translated services, um, I think it, it would be beneficial for you and increase visibility. Um, but I think it's great, I'm happy to participate, happy to come back if, if there's uh, uh, anything that that I can do to help uh, help along the way.
1: Okay. Um, I think uh, thank you uh, very much. I think on behalf of NACE Indonesia, I would uh, like to uh, give appreciation to Tim and also Bob, and also for our listening uh, listener. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, please uh, be sure to listen and then share the podcast through the Spotify link that we posted regularly in our postcard podcast and I hope that you find this podcast are useful in support you in your professional and engineering work. If you have questions or comment feedback to us, don't hesitate to write uh, to with email to us at nace at, nas at nasindonesia.org. Thank you very much and wish you all the best.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share this podcast via Spotify link. I hope that you find these podcast are useful in support you and your professional engineering work. If you have question or feedback to us, let me know. You can send us email at rmbasary@mtu.edu or ms.suleiman@gmail.com. Thank you all and wish you all the best.